You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Netflix recommends The Night Comes for Project Power. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I am the often forgotten member of the Six Seas. And I am Thomas Mariani, and uh, you you found me here, but you had to dig through a lot of different main menus, and I'm somehow in the action section, even though I should probably be in, like, the drama section, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's no fun to be had here. It's always super serious <laughs> on this show. Yep. <laughs> 100%. Uh, but, yeah, welcome to the Double Edge Double Bill, everybody. Uh, this week, uh, we decided to do a topic we've... Basically, has like a placeholder several times throughout our run of the show, because uh, uh, we're doing Netflix original films, and it's a topic that's always relevant because they release, I don't know, like 80 of them a week? I mean, at least. I mean, to the point where we've already done the picking for this show once. Right. There was a death, so we had to scrap it and do the, I believe it was Sean Connery, was it not? Yeah, we literally recorded the show, and we did our picking for the, for the Netflix thing, and then we heard the next day that Sean Connery died, so it's like, oh, let's scramble, and... Go ahead and re-record the... Uh, you can hear that audio on our Patreon, patreon.com slash GETVPod for just $1 a month. Plug early right there. Yes, yes. But uh, we're doing it now, officially as an episode, Netflix Original Films, and it's weird how it's only been about like six or so years since they started doing original movies, uh, yet they've been cranking them out in terms of whether they buy up movies that are like come out Sundance or something like that, or actually produce movies uh, through their... Um, exorbitant amounts of debt that they accumulate. Like, I believe it's, what, $15 billion of debt? It's something ridiculous. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't their first main one that Idris Elba one? Beasts of No Nation, yeah, I believe that was the first, at least, big one I can remember. Because that was the one they really tried to first promote as, like, a big Oscar push at the time. Right, and then Bright was their completely financed by Netflix one. Yes. Which, well, you know. Still waiting for that sequel, Adam. I need more Orc Cup. What are the further adventures of Orc Cup? Yeah, need Orc Cup. More Orc Cup, please. Weirdly, we have not talked about that many actual Netflix originals on the show. Only two. We've done The Irishman and Veronica. Correct. Um, you know, unless they got good word of mouth behind them, I tend to stay away from them. Uh, simply because, like you said, there's at least 80 a week. It's like a minefield trying to navigate through. And, I, you know, the couple times I've tried with ones I haven't heard anything about, I've been pretty much burned on them to the point to where I, I've tried some. I couldn't even tell you what the names of them were at this point. I think the last major one that I watched was that um, Triple Frontier. Mm-hmm. 
with uh, the dynamite cast, and I was pretty let down by it. So, I mean, it's it's not something I tend to really, really go for, unless, like I said, unless there's a pretty good word of mouth or a, a really good cast. I remember around the time when, like, Beast of No Nation, they were starting to make these originals. And they'd obviously been famous for TV prior to that, with, like, Orange is the New Black and House of Cards had been a thing. But when they were starting to break into movies, it became so much more a factor of, like, okay, this is a point where they define themselves. Because with, like, Beast of No Nation, it's like, okay, we're going to be producing, like, actual uh, serious films. And then started basically just, like, releasing schlock that almost made, like, a straight-to-video kind of thing. And then after a certain point, it became like, oh, we do that and everything else. Like, because certain other right. places, like Amazon Prime became way more prestige with their releases, or even like Hulu's kind of like trying to run a bit more of like a genre-y gambit to a certain extent. Netflix is like, everything. We're going to give like Charlie Kaufman the ability to do a weird surrealist movie, and then also do a huge, big budget, like, blockbuster. We're going to re- release the last Orson Welles movie that was never finished. Just like, we'll do all of it. Yeah, we'll do everything. Yeah. All the way from Oscar bait to weird-ass obscure shit to just the worst garbage you can find. Yeah, which I'll at least give them that it's a diversity on that scale. Um, It's just a problem, like like we mentioned, they release so many of those and the TV shows and whatever stuff they're importing just come out every week and like really bury some of these movies. Like even with um, The Night Comes For Us, which is our good feature that we picked at the end of our last episode, um, I ended up having to really scrounge through like the Netflix original section and the action section just to like find it. Didn't, didn't want to use the old search bar? Well, that's the thing. I intentionally just tried to use the main <laughs> menu this time. Usually I would just do search. God. But this was more of an experiment. With Project Power, it was a bit harder to find our, our bad feature. Just because, um, spoilers, didn't like it that much, so I downgraded it. And they make sure that disappears off your menu. If you don't like it, that algorithm. Yes. It's just like, no, what, what was this movie? It's never happened. No, we, do, we don't want to remind you of that. Yeah, which is probably for the best in the case of project power yeah so um if you're new at the end of every episode we pick a good and a bad feature and uh in the case of last week when we picked up between adam's two bad choices my two good choices we ended up with project power as our bad pick and then our good pick was the night comes for us which i had as a choice but to be fair our patrons that i previously mentioned at patreon.com slash gedbpod end up voting for that one and I love those motherfuckers so much. I know I'm always shitting on them, but this was like a good call. Good call, guys. Yes, good call, Edgelords. That's our pet name for all you uh, patrons out there. But, yes, so uh, well, let's go ahead and get into our two features. Then we'll start off first with the bad one, though, of Project Power. Power, power, speak a little loud. If there was a pill... They could give you five minutes. Pure power. Would you take it? First, we stabilize it. Then we weaponize it. Power goes to where it always goes to the people that already have it. They think they can just test their product on my city. We'll let them see what happens. I thought we were like Batman and Robin. You know, Batman and Robin, that's a movie. This is real life. 
So uh, Project Power uh, came out last year, not too long ago, uh, August 14th, 2020. A sort of uh, an interesting time to release it during a summer where, you know, we're still in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 quarantining. Hopefully most of you are still doing that, for the love of God. Don't for the love of fucking God. Even if we're having vaccines, we're allowed. Come on, chill. Um, Yeah, Yes, uh, but during in August of 2020, it was definitely like sort of a dire day for particularly like the summer. Like, oh, we usually get big like superhero movies and all this other stuff during the season. This was one of the ones people sort of gravitated towards like, oh, it's kind of superhero adjacent. Let's uh, just put it into our veins. And uh, yeah, that's where this had like that sort of Netflix kind of interest that many Netflix movies have for like a week. Where like over the weekend mm-hmm. people watch it and then by next weekend they've completely forgotten about it because there's a different movie that's come out. And I think that's why, even though I kind of bemoaned that we ended up getting it as your choice, Adam, at the same time, it's kind of perfect as the example of, like, a forgettable Netflix movie. Yeah, I I think that's very, very true. Um, But, I mean, fair play uh, and sort of their part, though. Like, I know you guys are hurting for these summer superhero movies. Here, we're going to give you one that has a pretty... You know this, these actors and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's shot real fucking cool and it's effects heavy and, you know, it's got a hip hop soundtrack. And blah. I mean, I get what they were going for. It's just. <sighs> well, Adam, before we go too deep into it, this is a more recent movie. Why don't you give people a brief yeah. plot synopsis of the Project Powell? OK, brief plot synopsis. So basically, there's this drug that hits the street that, you know, you can take this pill and it activates these sort of like superpowers in everybody. And everybody gets a different power and it only lasts for five minutes. And it can either be something really cool or you can literally explode from it. Everybody's different. So the cops are sort of like going against it with all these guys who can literally rob the banks with superpowers and shit. So there's this one cop who's taking it to try to level the playing field. And then all of a sudden this mystery man shows up trying to find the source and it's Jamie Foxx and you sort of go down his story and figure out why it's so important to him and how it ties directly into him. And then the cop becomes basically an afterthought. And then it's like this little girl who's one dealing the drugs and she gets wrapped up in it and machine gun Kelly's there too. Yeah. That's about, <laughs> about pretty apt. Uh, this plot synopsis there. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know, it, when you hear, like, that basic synopsis of, like, hey, the, you know, drug that can activate superpower in a person, it's like, oh, that sounds like a cool conceit. And it feels like one of those mm-hmm. many Netflix movies where you hear the conceit, it's like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Uh, what 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 else? And they're like, uh, did, you, did I mention the conceit? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. They're like, oh, no, that's all we got for you. But to be fair, though, it does look pretty legit, like, when they take the pill and stuff. Like, the effects of the powers and stuff is pretty fucking cool. Like, it is a really cool sort of effect, and it, it's, a, like you said, it's a really good sort of base idea and everything like that. Just, the only problem is they took that base idea and made a two-hour movie off of it. They didn't really even try to give you anything. It's just, maybe, oh, look, this guy's going to take a pill. Now this guy's going to. Now this guy's going to. And that's basically it. Yeah, I don't really feel as invested in the characters as much as they kind of want us to be. I will say the the biggest like highlight I can say for this movie is um you mentioned the the young lady um the Robin character played by Dominique Fishback. Um, I think she is like the highlight of the movie. I think she's a really interesting discovery who I'd want to see more of. And in fact, she was just in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, 
uh, playing Daniel Kaluuya's wow, love interest. Um, and she's very good in that as well. But I think here also she really stands out. as like she's the one character I at least have some emotional investment in. And I think like her performance is like laid back enough to where she feels real. But at the same time has like a lot of like these fronts she's putting up in order just to survive in the middle of like her uh, poorer area. Not so much with either Jamie Foxx, who I think is putting on the charm, but in a way that doesn't really make you feel as invested in this character. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who, this is the first movie I'd seen him in in ages. Because uh-huh. he hadn't really been in a movie since, uh, what was it, Snowden. That was the last like big movie he was in. And then randomly yeah. in last year in 2020, he had like three streaming movies come out. Because there was like the one on Amazon where he was an airplane pilot and the plane was getting hijacked. And then there was also uh, Trial of Chicago 7 he showed up in, uh, along with right, this. Right. And it's just like, oh, wow, it's been a while, dude. And you can tell it's been a while. He's uh, rusty. Yeah, well, not only is he maybe rusty, but this is just not a part for him. He's very miscast as well, I agree. Uh, very miscast. He's incredibly miscast. Because the thing is, he's a very capable actor. I think he's really, really good. I don't think he's good enough to carry a whole film, and I think we've seen that. Uh, unless it's like a real indie darling or something weird like Brick or The Lookout or something like that. But even like Brick has a lot of like supporting cast members around him who are able to carry Well, so does The Lookout. I mean, yeah, yeah The Lookout as Jeff Daniels and Matthew Good are acting circles around Joe Scorn Levitt. Yeah, he's completely miscast. I never once believe him as this sort of against the rules tiff cap. And then they really just drop his character and the whole motivation behind it to the point to where it's like, you know, spoiler alert, but Jamie Foxx like, you know, you're going to get a call from your captain telling him to bring you in. You know, he's in on it, basically. And the very end of the movie is like, so what are you going to do? I don't know. I guess we'll see. And that's it. And he's just like, I'm going to have a, a long, tough talk with Courtney B. Vance, my captain. Yeah, and then that's it. That's it. There's no arc at all to his character. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and it's the weird thing where he, Dominic Fishback has these kind of, like, weird friendships he has with, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt for a while because he's apparently addicted to this drug. It has no side effects, really, whenever he takes, he takes, like, the most of these pills and has no side effects whatsoever, but they're, they have, like, a chummy relationship, like, oh, you're doing the Clint Eastwood thing, (laughs) whatever, what, who do you know about Clint Eastwood? I've seen Bridges of Madison County, that's a good one. Like that's I know. That's, I know, I know, I know. That's her back for and then also the the one that bothered me more though is her like growing friendship with Jamie Foxx, considering their sort of start is him horribly like kidnapping her and abusing her yeah, to get information. To yeah, he's got a gun to her head and shit and says, I'm gonna kill your fucking mom. Yeah. You're like, Oh my god, good lord. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right about Joe Score Levitt. He takes a pill, the effects wear off, he takes another one, the effects wear off, he takes another I mean, it's literally nonstop this guy's popping these fucking things. And yeah, he's fine. You know, the, the, that's the one thing I liked about the Machine Gun Kelly character is you saw, like, literally after the first, you could tell he took the pill one time and he wore the effects on his body. Within the next time you see him, he's all fucking scarred up and shit. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But they abandoned every other character. Right. That sequence with uh, Jamie Foxx where he's like chasing down Machine Gun Kelly, I think is the highlight of the movie, which unfortunately occurs in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I agree 100%. And then what's his fucking name? Uh, it's Xerxes in here. Yes, Rodrigo uh, Santoro. Yes. What was his whole fucking character? Like... He's basically comedic relief at one point. Yeah, it's a weird inconsistency with his character because he initially introduces the drug to the streets, as we see earlier on. And then later on, he has this whole speech 
that turns into like a weird ad almost for the drug, which is another problem I have with this, with uh, the style. It's Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman are the directors who have directed a few movies that I've enjoyed, like The Third Paranormal Activity or Nerve, uh, which was the one with Emma Roberts and Dave Franco. That was pretty fun. Um, but like they definitely come from like commercials and you can clearly tell with this movie because it feels like we're just going from one set piece to the next that's just like a different ad. Where it's like, oh, this looks kind of stylish, but also looks, it, it feels really like lacking in any soul. Yeah, I agree. Stylistically, it's there, man. It looks cool. There's a lot of cool filters, camera shots, a lot of good night uh, filming. Action is, the action is filmed actually really well, too. The action photography is not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Within like 35 to 40 minutes, I literally stopped giving a shit. And it became a chore to finish this. Like, I literally found myself pausing it for every reason I could possibly think of. Oh, I got to walk into the dining room, which is, I can see my television from my dining room. I still paused it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just, okay. Yeah. I just got bored. Well, it feels like a movie very much designed to hook you in in the way that, like, Netflix only really, like, they'll count you if you watch the first, like, minute or so of the movie. One to two minutes. Yep. Like you said, the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie are, are really fucking cool. The kid rapping, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing with the with the kids who, like, attack her was still kind of cool. Because, I didn't, you know, you have no idea who his character is yet. But the stuff with Machine Gun Kelly and Jamie Foxx, really cool. And then it's, like, literally once she goes to, like, school the next day, it, it stopped pretty much dry for me. Not to say that she was bad, but that's kind of where the movie then turns into something else that, different than the first maybe 15 20 minutes sort of promised you yeah it feels definitely like it's a very traditional sort of like drug smuggling kind of movie that peppers in with like oh here are sequences of powers that happen and it's this weird thing where like aside from joseph gordon levitt with his power like nobody has cool powers like that would be the interesting sort of dynamic would be some people have really cool powers that they can utilize in interesting ways Others, like, don't. You have, like, an even mix that makes it more interesting as opposed to, aside from Joseph Gordon-Levitt's bulletproofness, like, everyone else has some kind of weird drawback to their powers. I guess there's also, like, another kind of cool sequence, I would say, is the bank robbery thing with the camouflage chameleon guy. Yeah, that that was cool. That's kind of a cool power that, like, works for him. But, like, at the same time, most of them are just like, oh, hey, you turn into a giant, but, like, with Rodrigo Santoro, but it's only half of your body? Which is weird. Right. Well, he was going to like, he was blowing up anyways. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, but then they define it that they're all traits from like animals and stuff. We're like, of course, right away. And this toad can, you know, grow bones and use his weapon. So, you know, you're going to see that happen, which mm-hmm. it does. And then Joseph Gordon Levitt, you get the idea. Maybe it's like rhino skin or something where it's really tough. And then obviously the chameleon guy. But hey, the dude, Machine Gun Kelly, what animal does that come from? Where he just engulfs himself in flames. And B, what is Jamie Foxx's discernible power? It, where he can turn water into like a weapon? I think. I don't know. He creates like some sort of weird hydrogen bomb thing. And I mean, I assume for the animal trait, I just assume a platypus. Like any weird trait, it's a platypus probably has that. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. clearly. Platypus or an, or an anteater. Yeah, something weird like that. <laughs> some some weird like Drop. creature at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Right. <laughs> has yeah. that... Just some stupid ass thing. <laughs> Like a glob, they're all blobfish. Blob, blobfish are secretly <laughs> the most powerful creatures on Earth. We just don't know. <laughs> we had no idea. But um, yeah, it, but that's the thing too. They lose it there too because it's like you're, you're setting up a base of where you guys get this sort of the chemistry foundation for this pill, 
you know, you take DNA from different animals and stuff that awakens this sort of animal gene in each particular person. Yet half of them are undefined by anything that you would even find in the animal kingdom at all. It's just, it's kind of sloppy. Yeah, it feels definitely like it's a spec script, which is what it was. It was just a script that was like going around Hollywood. It feels like one of those, like we talked about the blacklist scripts, where if you don't know, it's like these this list that comes out every year of like, oh, here are the scripts that everybody in Hollywood loves that hasn't been produced yet. And most of the time when those become movies, it ends up being like a really sloppy thing that just had a cool idea that's centered. That's all yes. what this feels like. Yeah, 100%. But this would have been on the blacklist. Yeah. I could see this being a blacklist movie. Like, oh my god. But then, like you said, somebody gets the script and they don't fucking tweak it at all. Like, all right, that's what we're going with. And it it gets, like I said, not necessarily lost in translation. It's all there. Just there's so much that is either A, unexplainable, or B, no follow through. Yeah, and it's like I said, like when you have like these spotty rules, usually I can be distracted by like the character stuff. But as we mentioned about Justice Court and Levitt, that's pretty thin. And then like with the Jamie Foxx thing, his whole like thing, oh, oh, I have a daughter. I'm trying to find like that's also so thin to the point where like I said that whole horrible introduction thing with with him and uh, Dominic Fishback and then within about like two scenes after he's like oh I shot down a bunch of people that were trying to kill you now all of a sudden we're, we're friends and you're like patching me up in the veteran veterinarian offices and all that shit let me hear you rap Woo-wee. You're like okay all right <laughs> you know it's just it's just yeah it's dumb yeah now we're all saying we're best friends within like three hours of him kidnapping her she's protecting him and like lying to joe score levitt about where he is and shit like that it, it's just it's dumb <laughs> yeah and even joseph gordon levitt gets weird things like that whole sequence where he breaks into the house is like the two guys are seeking and then like trying to interrogate dominic fishback's mom and he pops out of the shower and all that shit. Just weird comedy hijinks that are just like, oh, this is supposed to add character, but it's like, just makes him look like a fucking weirdo. Yeah, it really does. It doesn't make him seem clever, nor does it make me no. that invested in him, like, as a, oh my god, he's this cop who doesn't play by the rules. It's like, he just seems like a fucking weirdo who should not be around people. The two cops that are there who are supposedly, like, these government agents who are hunting down these people, gotta be the dumbest guys in the world. Because they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. My fault. Uh, yeah, come on. Stop with this. Yeah. Also, I would say, even though I think Gordon Levitt's miscast, my biggest miscasting thing, it's no offense to this actress who I like and other things, but Amy Landecker is like our surprise villain. Does not yes. work at all. Like, I, I like that actress, but she does this weird, like, energy where she's supposed to be like, oh, I'm the person behind the person. But instead, it's just like, you you have the energy of, like, I want to speak to your manager when you're talking about, like, killing somebody. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Right. Yes. No, I agree. And I, I agree with you, too. I really like that actress as well. She reminds me of, like, seven different actresses, too. Mm-hmm. Like, she, but she's definitely, but I really like her, too. But, yeah. Don't, you know, dumb. And there's fucking pencil mustache from fucking Equalizer. Again, did you see him? Yes. Yep, of course. There he is again. That fucking guy. I don't know why I don't, it's his mustache. It bothers me. But I will, I think that was kind of a cool scene too, where he just becomes basically the Incredible Hulk. I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. And I did like when he's beating on stuff, then it shows his hands and they're all fucked up from him punching the metal and they're bloody and stuff, but he can't feel it yet. So that was kind of cool. It's still, again, there's a lot of cool ideas that are just barely, barely sort of capitalized on. 
Yeah, it feels like it's one of these superhero satires where they're just like, oh yeah, what are the superpowers? What if you had those? Guess what? It wouldn't be all sunshine and lollipops. You wouldn't be Superman. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you got anything interesting to say about that, dude? <laughs> You're right. I've seen this. I've seen this a hundred times. A hundred times. <laughs> You're not Alan Moore, motherfucker. Come on, give me more. What the at fuck? all. At all. You're not even Robert Kirkman. <laughs> like, stop. You know, again, that's the problem with this movie, though. I'm glad, like you said, I'm glad it, I picked it because it is sort of the quintessential Netflix fail to where it's like it's got a big budget and all these big actors and everything, and it's just not done very well. Um, but unfortunately, that also means that I'm going to forget most of this movie if I haven't already. Yep. Well, I watched this when it came out around in August, and um, I had forgotten most of it before I booted it up earlier today. I made sure specifically to watch it as soon as possible to recording so i could remember as much as possible that's smart i watched it i think wednesday night and this is saturday and thank god you watched it today because i wouldn't have remembered anything to talk about and to be fair by the time i'm done editing this and putting this episode up i will have completely forgotten about the movie again which i never really plan on rewatching. no uh, yeah i'm good I'm never going to rewatch this. No, but yeah, it, it's like you said, though. It does feel like the quintessential sort of Netflix movie, especially where, like, this is ubiquitous with a lot of these movies, it feels like, where they, they just kind of put them out, and there's kind of an interesting flash with, like, who it is, and especially during quarantining, at the height of it, where it's just like, oh my god, we need something. People gravitate toward it. But ultimately, it just kind of, like, falls into the, the ether out of your head, goes through one year out the other. Uh, as we're running on fumes here with um, Project Power, we'll go ahead and go into final thoughts. And so, uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Project Power. Ultimately forgettable. Some cool visuals in it. Some pretty neat uh, camera tricks. Uh, first 10 minutes to 15 minutes are pretty exciting. Uh, but then it's just a slog to get through the rest. It's just ultimately forgettable in everywhere, from characters to plot to everything else. It exists. I, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not even the worst Netflix movie I've ever seen. But it's definitely, like, I would recommend this to somebody who was either really drunk or stoned and had nothing to watch and they couldn't find anything. I'd be like, well, maybe Project Power. That's if I could even remember the title by then. Yeah, it's definitely, it, it feels like the exact kind of example you would put up for the forgettable Netflix movie, where it's got, like you mentioned, uh, a pretty uh, solid cast, though I think only Dominic Fishback really stands out, and a uh, cool premise it does very little with, aside from like a few fun action set pieces here and there. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's, it's very forgettable, and just kind of feels like it's wasting a lot there. Also, just another thing before we head off of this, um, Machine Gun Kelly you mentioned, Machine Gun Kelly isn't like most of the movies from these directors. And I just want to know, like, does he have, like, blackmail on you guys? Because he's not very good. I don't get why he keeps being in your movies. Why do you keep casting him? Does he have something on you? He's he's either got to be a buddy, or B, they're hoping name recognition, and he's willing to do it because he wants to be an actor. Or C, what I think is more likely extortion. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. God only knows what it is. Allegedly. Allegedly. Satire. Parody satire. But let's get into our next feature in just a moment after we hear this word from a great ESO she can queue up right after ours. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, thunder talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. 
woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot. Music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. All right, now we're getting into our good feature, The Night Comes For Us. So, uh, The Night Comes for Us um, is an Indonesian film that came out uh, October 19th, 2018, over in the States here on Netflix. And um, before we get too much further, as is often the case when we talk about foreign films, we will preemptively apologize for mispronouncing several different names, uh, including the director, uh, Timo Tijanto, I believe? Yeah, alright. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Once again, apologies, dumb American. Um, but... Um, he is a director who many people who would uh, be fans of like uh, Gareth Evans and the Raid movies, which there's some cast members that return from those movies in here. Um, he is uh, known for doing a lot of movies like that, particularly he collaborated with Gareth Ed- Evans. I-, I almost said the Gareth Edwards thing, <laughs> which he's not the guy who directed the Godzilla 2014 movie. He's the guy who directed the Raid movies, but um, he directed the segment of VHS 2 with Gareth Evans, the cult one. That's like one of the best segments in any horror anthology ever. Well, easily out of those three movies, too, for sure. Right, right, yes. But it's, it's if you have not seen those movies, I would definitely recommend watching VHS 2 mainly for that segment. It's really great. Uh, if you love sort of the intense violent action of uh, stuff like this for the Raid movies. And uh, it's interesting also that we're covering a movie from him, by the way, given he was recently in the news. Um, as of this recording, he is scheduled to uh, make a remake of Train to Busan. See, I would not be interested in a Train to Busan remake that much at all, if not for the fact that him doing it makes me at least excited for, like, okay, if he's doing it, it's going to be much more of, like, an over-the-top action movie, which makes it very different from the other movie. So, fine. That's, like, a completely well, it's gonna, different... It's going to be balls to the wall. Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's Go, true. Fine. That's, like, completely... Like, that movie has a lot of action beats that are, like, intense, but it doesn't have fucking... <laughs> what happens this movie? This movie is arguably way more of a horror movie than Train to Busan is, honestly. Because... <laughs> Man, (laughs) like our previous guest Shaquille warned me about this. Like, oh man, you don't even know this is a horror film. I'm like, I don't know Shaquille. The Raid Two was pretty bad. I don't know if it's going to be as bad. I'm like, oh no, this is much worse. This is so much gorier, so much more intense. It's so fucking gory and intense and crazy. I mean, yo, the pool ball. Before we go too far into specifics, um, I guess briefly, because this is another one of those net. This is an example, I think, opposite of the Netflix sort of like forgettable movie where this is a great one that kind of got lost in the shuffle, even for me. Like, I was curious to see this and I just didn't back in 2018 because a bunch of other Netflix things came out amongst several other things in general. So I never got to it. So if you're not familiar, basically, uh, this takes place in Indonesia and is based around this drug smuggling ring known as uh, the Six Seas. 
which uh, basically means there are six individuals that are responsible for like drug trafficking in Indonesia. For the triad. For the triad. They're sort of these, yeah, they're these outside forces that control sort of all the smuggling things on all the different coasts, and they have full sort of, they could do whatever they want sort of stuff. Like, they, there's no rules or limits to what they can do. Right. And so at the start, one of those members, uh, who is uh, Ito, played by uh, Joe Teslam, um, is going on this big um, raid to basically destroy the small village who had screwed over the triad for some uh, drug money. And they kill most of the village except for this one little girl that Ito decides to take mercy on and brings back to his apartment in Indonesia. When the triad ends up finding out about this, they're like, oh my god, you killed, like, all of our enforcers that were doing this, and you took this little girl. We're gonna have to, like, kill you, you motherfucker. And so Ito, along with, like, his buddies, have to fight off against uh, a lot of people that are sent by either the triad or Arian, who's another one of the Sixties guys, played by Iku Uwes, who you would know from the Raid movies if you've seen those. Um, are basically out to take their vengeance upon him. And I like the fact that that is a pretty simple premise. So yeah. it's just like a, a very neat thing of like, okay, yeah, so we have our stakes, we have like our basic story, our conflict, and all that pretty much established at the beginning. So then we have just a clothesline to hang all of our fights on. All of our various fights, horribly gory as they are, just like, oh, we know why this is happening. <laughs> and that works perfectly. Oh, good lord. Like, are they some of the goriest, craziest action fights you've ever seen or not? I mean, it is so fucking brutally violent. It's shocking at first, but then it you, it almost becomes, like, numbing after a while. Which you're like, oh, yeah, you almost expect it. It never lets up with the gore or the just pure severity and of the violence. I mean, it's so intense. Yeah. And it's just so awesome it's so awesome like it is the rate one and two combined on steroids yeah i would i would basically say that i think it um i would say prefer either of the raid movies necessarily because i think just the the choreography is a bit better in both of those um and i think also they're 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 both kind of missing the one guy who i apologize forgot his name but the dude who plays mad dog in those yeah, yeah, movies, yeah. who is oh, my favorite, yeah. who I love seeing in anything. But at the same time, this one, I think, has the same principle that works, where it has brief respites from the violence, just for, like, very minimal character stuff. That's, like, it's not incredibly depthful or whatever, but it's just enough to kind of, like, continue the story going to some degree. Um, but, but yeah, at the same time, it's still just, like, it doesn't give you a lot of, like, breathing time from, like, what's going on here. At all. With um and even then, like I thought it would be numbing after a while with some of the violence, but then as you mentioned, I think once we get to like the climax, they just like fully go even more forward with it in a way I'm just like I, I was I'm a big horror guy and I love gore, but at the same time it was almost becoming like a clutching my pearls, like someone think of the children. Oh dear. It's so gory. <laughs> my word. Yeah, I get that. Well see, this is my second time seeing it. I saw it when it first was released. Mm-hmm. Uh a, because I'm a martial arts sucker. B, I love the Raid movies. And I was, like, totally stoked to check this out. And even then, knowing some of the beats that were coming, there's still a couple scenes to where I was really like, oh, God. Like, just disgusting and shocking. So many... I mean, most anything the blonde girl did <laughs> uh, was fucking, like, just... Oh. <laughs> like, I mean, when she would get the guy in the neck and then pull it out and you just see the flap of meat. I'm like, this is so fucking gross. 
And then her her and her lover's whole fight with the the girl on the, with the motorcycle was mm-hmm. so badass. Oh my god. I mean that girl just rips her finger off like it's nothing. I mean, what is happening here? Yeah, it's the combination of that and then also the on the other side of the blonde lady, she's like, I'm totally fine. Oh wait, I'm sorry, my intestines are in my hands. Yeah, they're completely falling out. I am dead. I am I'm dying. But her lover's weapon was so brutal. Razor wire with a little weight on the end of it. Get the fuck out of here with this. And her ultimate comeuppance was just so fucked up. And I love the line, too. You're going to regret that. What, calling her a little bitch? No, wearing white. <laughs> like, oh. And that pays off. It's just like, oh, you've become drenched in gore. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Horribly. Horribly. Uh, before you go too far off of uh, those three actresses, though, it's um, Hana Al-Rashid is Elena, the blonde one. Um, Diana Satorwadoyo um, is Alma, who was the one with like, the sort of cupid cut. And then uh, Julia mm-hmm. Stell is the operator, who was also Hammer Girl in uh, the second yes. round. Who is tremendous. She's such a fucking badass. She's so bad. And she's such a badass in this movie, too. Yeah. Holy shit, what a badass. You know, to get on the other characters, I really loved Fatih and Bobby and all those guys. Like, they were super cool. What a cool sort of dynamic all of, like, Ito's old crew had. And way to go those guys, too, by the way, for killing hundreds of dudes. Oh, good lord, yeah. That whole sequence where they're just, like, fucking people (laughs) funneling into that apartment. Um, It's just insane. It's insane. And by the way, everybody takes about 40 more gunshots than they should be able to in this movie. Oh, duh. 100%. Like, nobody dies from barrages of bullets in this movie. No, that's, that's true. This it's movie one... has some of my favorite uh, things I love in action movies, where either people being shot and they, like, fling themselves to side to side, like, oh, oh, oh my arms, oh, no. Yep. And then also the blood gurgling, which is like, oh, blah, 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 blah. oh <laughs> a lot no. of that. <laughs> that is 90% of the sound design is those blood gurgles. <laughs> You know, I knew I knew I was going to fanboy out on this movie a little more than actually getting into plot because, like you said, the plot's very simple and, and it's all there. Yeah, the whole movie is the fight scenes and the gore and the, just the the unbelievability, uh, like not the unbelievability of the violence because I'm imagining a lot of these wounds are probably pretty realistic to what you would see, but the unbelievability that they are fully committed to going there and showing you that gore in the aftermath. I mean, it's fucking intense, dude, and it's crazy and wild. Joe Taslim, when he goes into that fucking butcher shop. Yes. Oh, my God, dude. That was that was the fight sequence that really hooked me into the movie, honestly. Because, like, there's one fight sequence before that with the Ika Uwe's in the club, which I thought was, like, the weakest one. And then it's just, like, it's, it feels like a very typical sort of raid sequence. But then the Meat Locker one is really where I got, like, hooked. Like, oh, okay, we're going... This is where the movie's going. Keep going, please. More, please. Please, on a plate, please. And they do not skimp. They give you more and more and more and more and amp it up every time after that. Especially, like, so many people on fucking meat hooks, which, like, I'm just imagining, like, Leatherface walking in just like, guys, stop. (laughs) Too much. He's clearly shoving them up their assholes and split their balls with them and everything. I'm like, this is fucking insane. And the one dude who's like fucking mouth he slices open and he's got like the oh. extra opened mouth. <laughs> I know. And also uh, a shout out I don't have this actor's name but the dude who plays like the main meat locker guy with the glasses is yes. so great. 
Just like, oh, he's this is jump change. Weasel. What are you talking about? He's such a weasel. Yeah. He's such a little weasel. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. And you do see him for a second when they go back to the past and show like their crew together. Yes. He is standing there. Right, I like the fact that this is what I really like about both the Raid movies. They always have distinctive characters like that that make you invest yes. where like it has kind of like the structure almost either like a video game or even weirdly like a musical sequence where like we're gonna go right into a big choreographed thing that's like this intense, horrible, gory bloodbath instead of a musical number. Um, but you have to have like these memorable antagonists to fight against. So it like really makes it like work so much more because you get everything from like that meat locker guy right from the start, which is like I have my glasses, I'm uh, very serious about my business. Oh, you want to come to the back of the meat locker? <laughs> Whatever, dude, we're gonna fuck you up. And then he gets fucked up royally. That's <laughs> oh my god, does he ever? Uh, you know, but the, that's the one thing I will say about this one. Maybe in comparison to the raid movies and even Headshot, um, is especially with the Joe Toslin character. When he's on the sort of the warpath in the meat locker or at the end with in the clubhouse or even when he fights the girl, um, he doesn't even feel like he's that choreographed. He feels like he's fighting purely on emotion the whole time. Yeah, it feels almost more improvised. Yeah, like he's just a fucking who could take hits. Whereas when you get Eco Iwas, like in the club scene or when he's fighting him stuff, it's very methodical and planned out. And the one thing I will say about that club scene is the broken bottle in the guy's mouth. Mm-hmm. And then he slams it on the table. Like, that's fucking crazy. Like, that's wild shit. Who thinks of that? But <laughs> no, that's, I, I agree. I think that's what really works is that you get a full sense of, like, whenever these individual antagonists like Joe Talsam or any of our other guys have to fight against, like, they feel distinctive enough so you're like, oh, okay, they have a different fighting style from the other, especially when you mention like when it's the big showdown between Iko Uwe's and Joe Teslam, you feel a sense of like, okay, this guy's former put together like Iko Uwe's who also feels more like their traditional, the traditional kind of movie star. Whereas Joe Teslam feels much more like blue collar in a way when he was fighting up and it's much more of like a bruiser, as you mentioned. So it, it makes their fight work so well because it's two truly opposing forces fucking each other up in different ways. Oh, in horrible ways too. Yeah. That fucking little box cutter. Good god but it makes me excited for like the future of these guys because one thing i will say especially about joe taslam he's actually a pretty capable actor too Mm -hmm. like he's really good in this movie like it's not like the best acting you've ever seen but for like an action martial arts movie he's really good that's why i'm totally stoked uh actually he's probably the only reason i'm stoked now at this point for the mortal Kombat movie yeah after that trailer he's the one thing that kind of sticks out as interesting yeah, yeah. But, like, Eco Iwas, dude, he's really good, too. I mean, that final fight scene between the two of them, Jesus Christ. The most painful part of that final fight scene is when uh, uh, Joe Taslam's against the, the sort of steel beam, and uh, Eco Iwas throws a hard ass kick and he moves. And he hits his leg. He's like, oh, I'm like, oh, no, you shattered his shin, dude. But then, of course, he does some fucking crazy ass martial arts reel. Just like crack his leg in one place and it's fine now. <laughs> I love that shit so much in movies. <laughs> in these movies like that's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> but whatever. I was hook, line and sinker into this movie from basically the beginning. And I, like I said, I watched it today for the second time. And I mean, I, I sat and watched the whole thing. I didn't pause it. I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't do anything. I, I absolutely 
what a great action and a great sort of undiscovered Netflix original gem. This is not something that I would ever expect a Netflix original to be. No, that's true, yeah, because it's their first Indonesian film that was produced, which is interesting given a lot of Indonesia actually has banned Netflix. Interesting kind of thing. Like um, 47% of the com- <laughs> country or something can't watch this fucking movie. Right, which is interesting. Um, but, so, yeah, it shows that they're able to branch up. This is what I like about sort of Netflix in terms of, like, they have so much money and they're the biggest game because Netflix has almost become kind of like a, a necessity for streaming. Like, if you want streaming content, like, everyone at least has Netflix to like watch whatever because they're like well they have everything and netflix is really weighed into that with that strategy we're talking about we're just like are you a martial arts enthusiast well here's the night comes for us oh do you like a uh, great cinema directors here's the irishman sir like they have all these different dishes for everybody <laughs> they just have them there and i think that this one it really works because it's, it's like we mentioned like the the fight scenes like it doesn't really relent that much but it also really knows how to escalate the fights i think that's my problem with like i also watch headshot which is from the same director and i think that one has much more of a problem of like it has spurts and starts for the action beats they're fun but like there's a lot more heavy like dialogue sequences and stuff that just doesn't feel nearly as interesting as it thinks it is as opposed to this just knows like yeah we got a basic plot here but let's keep moving with these fight sequences mm-hmm. I, I i agree man just how smart some of these action scenes are in this movie too like when I love the scene when they go to get the girl and it hammer girl from raid two protecting her and that sort of grease ball and his couple guys get in the elevator and go up as soon as the elevator opens, she just plugs all of them, you know, I mean, just horribly kill, just shoots them all to death. But then she gets sort of like cornered and she hides behind that little pillar and then they go and sort of show and she's got a bunch of C4. Dude. And she blows up, and it's just a horrible mist of red and gore. And, like, somehow two guys are still alive that she just shoots immediately. <laughs> right. And then, then, she fights the blonde girl with the Krikri knife through the hallway, and they're using the body parts to block each other's knives and stuff. Yes, which, by the way, this has all been preceded by the whole sequence where she ends up destroying, like, the, the blonde woman's uh, partner. Air conditioner! The air conditioner and the, like, wire thing. It's, like, so... Like, all of this is within, a, like, a fucking five-minute span, ten-minute span, or whatever. <laughs> it's insane. I, I Yeah, and it's so dope. It's so Oh. By the way, also, uh, Raina, the little girl, uh, she's just mentally fucked, right? Like, she, there, there's, no, there's no coming back from this emotionally <laughs> on any psychological level. Yeah, no, she's fucked. To the point to where the last guy who she thought was in charge, you know, like, taking care of her, uh, it comes to her and he's bloody and can barely speak and he's yelling at her to get on the boat to leave. Yeah. So, yeah, she's, like, mentally, she she's gone. Even though she's a trooper. God bless her. She is a tr- she. Oh, yeah. She is very like she even gets to stab a guy in the neck. She's like, oh, how adorable! You you murdered that man horribly. <laughs> um, and like I don't know, like that person on the boat needs to give her some fucking ice cream. I swear, that fucking kid deserves it after all that. Dude, give her a million dollars. Good lord. <laughs> I meant at least some ice cream to start. <laughs> Have you said your favorite sort of action set piece yet, or do you, is there one you really want to spot that you maybe haven't? Well. I, I, I sort of said it in the beginning, but the whole bit in the clubhouse where, A, he bends the one guy backwards over the pool table and uses the eight ball to smash his face in. Yes. That's pretty hardcore. But then he cuts off the sort of 
bag that's in the pocket that holds the pool balls and beats a dude's head in with it so bad and so graphically where you literally see his brains leaking out. And blood spurting out like a fountain. <laughs> like a fountain. And then it shows the bag and there's just bits of hair and gore sticking out of it. And then it cuts up to the other action beat that's going on. I mean, it's so fucking graphic and violent. It's so cool. It's so fucking badass. I, I absolutely, that's, that's the one thing I remembered from this movie was just that scene because I'm like, that's so fucked up to me. Like, it's just so gory and violent. That's the one thing I like about these movies is that they use any object they can possibly find to inflict damage. And it's all believable. Like, you could believe that someone could take a pool ball and crush someone's face with it. I don't want to see that, but it's believable that it could happen. Yeah, I mean, my I would say my favorite is definitely it's the the one with the three ladies fighting each other in the apartment that we mentioned previously. I think that's just the most consistently great action sequence. But I just want to highlight a moment. It's not really even technically an action beat, but it's just sort of like a weird kind of dark comedic point where there's a whole sequence we haven't really talked about that much involving like a, a shootout in a parking garage that just super destroys the car that Reyna and which character was it who was driving the car? Fati. Fati, right. Um, where they're, they're um, both in the car and he's just like, well, let's, uh, let's keep going. And then the, he starts driving the car while like the doors barely hang on. It's just a shot of the car turning in the parking garage <laughs> and the oh. door falls. <laughs> but then dude, that motherfucker, what a badass he is. He still kills two guys. Yes. Like, after that, he still uses that little six-shooter and gets two more guys down before they just fucking light him apart. But still, yeah, that's a great scene, too. Oh, what about the fucking back of the police van? Yes, we haven't even talked about that. That's so awesome. Oh, my God, with the grenade? Oh, or when he's got the one guy, he's got two guys pinned, and one's point, got his assault rifle pointed at the other one's face, and he tasers that guy, and he unloads the clip into the other guy's face. By the end of that sequence, it literally is covered in, like, hamburger meat. It's not even human meat anymore. It's become hamburger no, meat. No, meat. no. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. There's no, there's no human left. It's just viscera and gore. I mean, that is so fucking crazy. And then the grenade. Oh, my God. And also, shout out to Joe Tesla managing to, like, survive that. And then people are like, oh, my God, what's happened over there? And he steals that one dude's car. Just GTAs that dude's car. <laughs> yep. Yep. Dude, Joe Tesla's a fucking bad dude. Man. No, he is, like, yeah. Ito's a bad motherfucker, man. Yeah, and Joe Tesla, you might have recognized also in terms of American stuff, he was in Fast and Furious 6. Yes. And uh, Star Trek Beyond as well. Oh, he was. It's, that's right. Yeah, yes. he was. You know, the one thing I will say about this movie is the sort of surprise that Ito is revealed as one of the six C's to uh, Adrian or whatever his name is, Ico Iwas. Like, yeah, we know already. Yeah, we, we figured as much given he was like the main person who hasn't become hamburger meat after the half, first half. In the beginning, after the opening text scroll, yeah. I got it. Yeah. But other than that, I, I love this movie. This movie's damn near a perfect five for me, especially as far as uh, just brutal, violent movies. Would you say you prefer it to the Raid movies? or? Uh, no, I, I honestly, the, the first Raid is still my favorite one, if anything, because of the hallway sequence and then the fight between Mad Dog and, and Eco Iowas and his brother in that little ass room. Mm -hmm. It's so just visceral and crazy. Um, and then I think I'd go this one and then 
I mean, honestly, it could change between this one and the Raid 2 constantly. Yeah, the Raid 2, I think, has a bit more pacing problems that might uh-huh. convince me it's maybe slightly preferable. But at the same time, I think just some of the, the action sequences in the Raid 2, like Hammer Girl alone, I think make it slightly above that for me. But this is definitely, I think, I would say a close third with those Raid movies. In terms of, like, the modern sort of um, Indonesian martial arts movies for sure and yeah even as someone like we've mentioned this before i'm not as big of a martial arts person um i've really grown to especially like these movies because it's like you mentioned there's just sort of like it has a horror movie aesthetic to it that i can latch on to where it just becomes like no this is just like a slasher movie basically but with like martial arts kicking and shit and it's it's just it's a sight to behold in the same way that like i mentioned the musical comparison it feels like when you watched gene kelly dance back in the day we're just like wow these physical feats i could never do all on the screen, only there's a lot more blood and gore in this. Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah. like, Singing in the Rain and, and The Night Comes for Us, I don't think you can combine them. You can pair them I know, Singing in the Gore would I work. Know, that would be something. That would be the something. Co- the combination of those two would be something. Make them die, make them die. <laughs> make their heads split <laughs> open and die. But, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and get into my final thoughts here on this one. Yes. For anybody who's sort of martial arts movie, action movie fan, or if you're a fan of like Yakuza or triad movies or any like siege movies or any of that type of stuff, if you like dread, if you like the raid movies, you owe it to yourself to watch this. It's fucking awesome. It is so well done. So well acted. The uh, practical effects are incredible. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a action film fans like wet dream. This movie. This is every movie that I wanted to see when I was a kid because I thought, oh, yeah, oh, God, you know, and you create like or think in your head like, oh, man, how bad was he messed up after this? This one shows you how bad the violence is, but it's it's done in such a beautifully choreographed way to where it's so exciting to watch. I I, I just can't believe about this movie enough. I, I think it's a perfect modern martial arts masterpiece. Yeah, and plus it seems we're going to be getting a lot more of that since also recently in the news that Gareth Evans of the Raid movies is going to have an exclusive deal with Netflix now. And uh, he just, uh, they announced that that action thriller Havoc starring Tom Hardy is going to be his first project with them, which I'm extremely excited to see Tom Hardy do some of that action choreography if that's possible. Uh, Yes, fuck yes. Well, I know this was originally going to be a trilogy too. So I'm very if they'll do more because the second one was supposed to follow um i think i forget her what her character name is in this is like the protector if you're referring to jewel uh julia stell i believe you're referring to the operator the operator yes it was originally going to follow her and then another one of the six c's because we only see about like what how many of the six two Two? yeah two of them so in theory you could just have two more in the next one and then two more in the third one if you did a trilogy yeah yeah because the the two the two female are part of another group. I forget she she says what they are and she says their numbers. And the, the blonde is like I always hated those fucking rankings. Oh god! Also, the, like even though it's like once it's subtitled, you like sometimes that the language might like not quite translate as well. Those none of those sequences lose any of their bite when they're like doing the trash talking to each other. It's so good. It's so good. So fucking it's good. So- I mean, because for my final thoughts, I don't have a lot to add with what you said. Um, I, I would say I definitely did really enjoy it. 
I can definitely say that even as like a gore horror fan, there was a certain point where, like I said, it was clutching my pearls. Like, guys, this is a bit much. You know, like I gotta, I gotta like sit down and breathe for a second. Um, but at the same time, that still really works for this movie. You're still just like really entranced with like all the horrible gore that's going on, but also just the choreography on display. It's just so phenomenal seeing uh, all these people just really be able to do these amazing stunts that make you awe at the same time you want to vomit out of terror. It just uh, it works perfectly. So uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If this is, dude, like I said, that meat flap. And Homeboy's neck is one of the grossest things I've ever seen in my life. Or even the pinky thing, like you mentioned with Julia Still, where she, not even thinking about it, just rips off her pinky just because it's a, it's a loose appendage I don't need anymore. Yep, it's an inconvenience at this point. <laughs> no, that's true. So definitely, if this was one you missed amongst the Netflix uh, stockpile, we would definitely recommend uh, digging it up, finding it, if you can handle, like we said, the horrific, ungodly amounts of gore. So... That's the end of our two films that we're discussing for the night. Uh, but we got some more things to do, including doing our picking for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that. But first, uh, we want to read some feedback, because every Monday over at DEDBpod, that's on Facebook and Twitter, we ask you all about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite movies related to whatever topic that we're covering? So we asked you all naturally about Netflix originals. So we got a bunch of friends of the show contributing to the feedback. Like, last week's guest Shaquille Lambert says, Good, El Camino, The Five Bloods, The Babysitter... Six Underground, Dolomite is My Name, Roma, The Irishman, Bad, Bright, The Cloverfield Paradox, Polar, uh, Point Blank, uh, The Babysitter, Killer Queen, and Death Note. Um, Then James Rodriguez says, Best, 13th, His House, uh, Six Balloons, The Night Comes For Us, Roma, Marriage Story, The Irishman, The Five Bloods, Worst, Death Note, The Do-Over, El Camino Christmas, The Open House, Six Underground, and Mute. Scott Johnson says, Best Netflix, Cam, Shirkers, The Irishman, Klaus, Stole My Is My Name, Worst Netflix, Bright, The Ridiculous Six, Wine Country, Operation Christmas Drop, and Mascots. And then Christian Alvarez says, uh, Without mentioning Netflix's wonderful documentaries, the streaming service has a surprising library of hits and misses. Favorites, El Camino, The Breaking Bad Movie, uh, Gerald's Game, Enola Holmes, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Worst Death Note, Bright, the Cloverfield Paradox, Hillbilly Elegy, and The Ridiculous Six. So yeah, I mean, there were some definite crossover ones, like El Camino in particular was one that, like, that's a great example of one where Netflix has had a history of, like, kind of dropping movies that uh, sort of have some kind of, like, either a sequel or a continuation to something, and usually they're disappointing. I would say El Camino is one of the rare ones that actually does work, especially because, like, it follows, if you don't know, it's after the end of Breaking Bad, and it follows Jesse Pinkman. And they released that in October of 2019, and we didn't hear about it until August. It was just, like, suddenly, like, oh, there's a Breaking Bad, like, <laughs> continuation movie happening. That's insane, but it really worked. And I also had a weird experience with that movie where I watched on a plane, and near the end, there's a supporting turn from Robert Forrester, who was on Breaking Bad previously, reprising a role here. And I was like, oh, it's so great to see Robert Forrester. I rarely see him so much. And then I got off the plane, and I looked on the internet, and he had died. That was really weird that happened. Like, what? <laughs> it was a... See, I've never seen that one, because uh, I didn't watch Breaking Bad. Only because the hype was so big for it, to where I was, it was it became daunting. To where I'm like, well, do I want to jump in from the beginning? We're already in like season five. Like, just it, it, it's nothing that I never really got into. So I, I skipped that one. Uh, I will agree with the Cloverfield Paradox being a huge letdown, which was my alternate choice for this. 
Um, clearly a script that was sort of retooled to fit the Cloverfield. I mean, without a doubt, I think. Yeah, and it was also it was the whole hype around it being announced at the Super Bowl, like right after the game. It's on. And I watched it right after the game. And I remember kind of liking it fine when I saw it at that point. But um, then it was a huge backlash against it. I think just that strategy really ended up screwing them over in terms of, like, the perception. Like, I'm sure they got, like, a yes. huge amount of fucking people watching. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, what the fuck, Netflix. Like, that, that kind of thing. People remember shit like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mascots was a huge letdown for me, too. I still haven't seen it just because I, I like Christopher Guest so much, but I'm like, I don't, it's a little, I don't. <laughs> I, know. I love Christopher Guest movies. I absolutely think they're the, some of the funniest movies that exist in modern time. Uh, so I was super pumped to watch that one. And it was a, it was a big, big letdown. Cast was fine in it. It's just, it, it was, it, I don't know. It, it felt like there was no heart to it. Like there is all the other ones, the other ones, his other movies feel like there's a genuine sense of heart and love behind them. The mascots just felt kind of cold. So it just didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, also shout out, Scott mentioned cam, which I Netflix horror selection is kind of wonky, but I would say cam is one of the better ones. If you, if you don't know, it's basically about this woman who works as a cam girl. She'll go online and she'll like get money basically so she can do like various different like fetish things in a way that's like super sex positive. Like the the star is also the writer and she actually worked as a cam girl for a while. And then she starts to notice that her account is still on and she's on there doing new things. It's not like a repeat or anything. And she's like, huh, I'm not online. What the fuck's happening? It's a really interesting horror movie. I would recommend to anybody out there. Oh, that sounds actually pretty interesting. I had no idea what it was about. Uh, and then, of course, this the Stephen King ones we've gotten have been pretty good. Like, Gerald's Game was good. Yes. Uh, 1922 was good. Very Once again, another one that got lost in the shuffle really badly. Cause, yeah, very yeah. good. Really good Tom Jane performance, by the way. And even Mike Flanagan, not Stephen King related, but also he did Hush, which was on there, which is tremendous. Oh, yeah, Hush is fucking awesome. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, the thing is, I, I would say there's more miss than there are hits for Netflix, but the hits are really good. At least we said, like, there's a lot of variety to the misses. Like, I'll say just two complete weird opposite examples. Like, we, I think my least favorite Netflix one is Little Evil, which was the follow-up from oh, the guy who made Tucker and Dale oh, versus Evil. Um, and is, so like, bad. the polar opposite of that movie in terms of, like, oh, you like a funny horror comedy? How about not? How about a date movie level parody of The Omen? Like, just a piss poor parody. But at the same flip coin, recently, they put out uh, Malcolm and Mary. With uh, Zendaya? Right, Zendaya and uh, and, uh, John David Washington. And it was a movie made in lockdown, and it's basically just about John David Washington plays a filmmaker who just came back from a premiere of one of his movies. And Zendaya is like a model that he's dating. And the whole movie is, it's shot in black and white, and it's all looks so classy, and it's John David Washington having these huge monologues about how much he hates, like, film critics, and how much, like, he hates the industry, and it's the most self-indulgent horseshit I've ever fucking seen. But Netflix put their money behind it and put it out there, so just two... <laughs> once again, very two very different movies that they put out that are just like, well, they're both awful, but very different in their awfulness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, see, I haven't, uh, Little Evil I've seen, I kind of, I got the impression from the previews of the other one that it was sort of pretentious. Oh yeah, I, I don't like using that word that often, but that is 100% a pretentious movie. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> um, but what about you, where are some uh, misses then 
for you, Adam. Like I said, I'm not really that well-versed in watching most of them, but I will say offensively, Ridiculous 6 is definitely, definitely up there. It's so, so bad to where I just... What? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, have you ever seen it? No. Yeah, you don't. You really don't need. Yeah, to. I've I've avoided most of the the Sandler ones. Though, like we we mentioned this on our Sandler episode, even like at the same time, he'll also be- have Netflix bankroll stuff like the Meyerowitz stories, the Noah Baumbach movie, or even like Uncut Gems is one of those weird examples where it was released mainly to theaters in the states. Everywhere else, it was straight to Netflix. Oh, okay. You know, another one. Uh, I started it and I stopped it. Is uh, Coffee and Kareem? Yeah, I heard about that one. That's the one with um, who's in that? Ed Helms and Taraji, Taraji Henson. Yes, yes. It's it's really bad, and then I mean, it's it's really really bad. And another one that I, I was totally totally stoked on watching, but it's just so jumbled and kind of all over the place, is uh, the Last Days of American Crime. Oh, okay. Really good cast. Really sort of. Uh, very Oliver Stone-ish, like the way it, it sort of reminds me of like Natural Born Killers or even the way Savages was shot, which wasn't a good movie, but Savages, it, it's just, it's really bad. It, it, it's a real big disappointment. Um, so, I mean, like I said, uh, I don't really get into a lot of them because it is such a minefield, but those are the ones I've seen that I can remember are just dog shit i mean even there are ones also that aren't necessarily ones i love but ones that were like i i like what they're doing with it like um some like set it up which i hadn't actually seen until um valentine's day it's a romantic comedy that was really big when it came out but once again kind of got lost after like the week everyone was talking about it where it's basically about um two personal assistants for two like big corporate types who work in the same building like hate their bosses um and uh, it's glenn powell's one of them and zoe deutsch who is leah thompson's daughter is the other one. Um, and they're like, oh, we hate our bosses and they're so angry with each other. It's probably because they aren't to- with anybody. How about we set them up together? And the bosses are, his is Tay Diggs and hers is Lucy Liu. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's yes. a very cute romantic comedy that like just really works. Um, that's like, it's not my favorite of the Netflix movies, but I'm like, oh my God, that works really well. It's very cute. And then on, on once again, another flip side, um, his house, which was recommended by a few people, which is the one um, about um, the immigrants that come over from uh, Sudan, south, southern Sudan, um, and their house is haunted. It's not a movie I loved, but it's a movie that shows a lot of great promise for the director and the like actors and everything. It's a very different movie than like all the other ones we mentioned, but it works really well. It's uh, like we said, variety is the spice of life with Netflix. Oh yeah, dude, and and one that we both forget to forgot to mention, and nobody else mentioned it. Fucking Klaus. Well, Klaus was mentioned by, I believe, Scott mentioned that. Well, I don't count him. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, no, I agree with Klaus. Yeah, we've talked about it a bit. If you uh, listen on the Patreon to our top ten holiday movies bonus podcast we did, we talk about that one a lot. That's very underrated, especially if you like traditional animation alone. It's one of the few to come out recently in that style, and it's uh, gorgeous. Oh, it's it's beautiful. What a great movie. 
But uh, thank you for all that great feedback, everybody. We also want to thank some other people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show. And thanks, of course, as we mentioned a couple of times here, our patrons, edgelord patrons, over at patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls where you pick topics we do and movies we cover, uh, like The Night Comes For Us. And also you get to listen to bonus podcasts like... Uh, We'll be coming out around the same, in the same week this episode's coming out. There will be a bonus podcast where we talk about our top 10 favorite robots in TV and film. Yeah. It's nerdy as shit. It's very dorky. I can't wait to record it. <laughs> We're literally going to record it right after this episode, so we'll be having a lot of fun with that. Yes, we are. Yes, and uh, you can also uh, follow us for all our antics on at DEDBpod for Facebook and Twitter. And also you can submit feedback to us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, if you want to help out and maybe can't become a patron on a regular basis, uh, why not just buy some Double Edge Double Bill branded merchandise on the T Public store for the ESO Network, where you can buy a mug or a mask or a t-shirt with our logo on it. It looks, uh, it looks pretty great. And uh, we get a kickback for everyone that... Uh, buy something so uh, it helps us out yeah buy some stuff i know i've done it before but i'm gonna do it again because it never gets old buy my stuff buy my stuff no cease and desist from the critic please um but for more of our individual antics you can find me on twitter instagram and letterboxd as at not the who's tommy and also i do some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com and you can find me on twitter and instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. I mostly share pictures of a mural I've been working on. It took me only uh, less than two weeks, and I finally finished it today. And uh, I just got two new uh, little dogs, so you're going to see a lot of pictures of them, too. Yep, that mural looks uh, pretty damn good. It's uh, it's a lot of great hip-hop artists on your wall. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean... I'm not going to get my security deposit back if I ever move out, but fuck it. <laughs> I love it when you call me Big Pop. That means I get your money. <laughs> yup. <laughs> um, and for more of our antics, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not dig into the other great shows on the network, of course. And you can even find the archives of several episodes we did before we joined ESO over on our Podbean main feed. Um, and if you can't, you know, buy some merch or can't support us on Patreon, the most cost-effective way to help us out is just to rate, review, or share the show around, because that gives us more visibility. And uh, let me check my price tags. Oh, yeah, that is free to do any of those things. A hundred percent. If you do that for us, we will be eternally, eternally grateful. Yes. And uh, now, Adam, it's time to see how grateful you're going to be about the picks that we're doing for next week because next week we're going back to doing another actor but this is one we had definitely had in the cards for a very long time because uh, we uh we love this man in his best times in his worst times you know he's he's uh, he's not the best but it is uh mr eddie murphy we're finally doing an episode all about eddie murphy because uh the week that uh, we're putting that episode out it'll be the streaming debut of coming to america which is fucking pg-13 yeah, that was a bummer to hear about. 
um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's it's it, I, I'm not excited about that necessarily, especially also that it just feels like we're doing re- really big comedy sequel territory of like everyone's back, everyone. <laughs> we got yep. everyone back, but you know we can at least have a child. Oh God. Yes, um, but. <laughs> We can at least uh, look back on Eddie Murphy's career. It's a good excuse to send And uh, you have the two good picks, Adam. I have the two bad. Yes. Yes. So uh, it'll be very interesting because you've assigned them between 1 and 10 for yours. I've done the same for my bad picks. So we'll pick number two, 1 and 10 for each other's choices. And that gets us our good and bad features. So for your two good ones, Adam, I'm going to pick, you know, in honor of the, the sequel, two. Well, at number two, with a bullet... I have something that actually would have worked for our show we did tonight. It's a movie that came out that I've been wanting to see, and I haven't watched it because I knew this episode was coming. It is the Netflix Dolomite is my name. Yay. I'm so happy. I love it so I much. I haven't watched it yet. I can't wait to watch it. I'm super stoked on it. And, I mean, this is kind of the movie that brought him back again. Yes. He, he's uh, gotten a lot of praise for that, um, and I'm one of those people praising him, so I can't wait to talk about that next week. But what was your other choice? 48 Hours, the original. Yeah. Which I still think is a great, great movie. It, it was his big uh, cinematic debut after he went on SNL for like a couple of years and blown it up. Yep. It's a, it's, it's a real big star making turn. But now, for my two bad choices, oh. Adam. Oh, no. Because the bad are so bad True. for Eddie Murphy. Ah, oh, fucking shit. All right. Uh, suck my butt. I'll go number eight. Well, at. Number seven, I have um, a movie that was done at the peak of his family film days um, and is a mass disappointment for me as a fan of a certain uh, amusement establishment you can go to. It is Disney's The Haunted Mansion. Oh, God. Oh, no. See, I didn't even think you were going to... Oh, that one didn't even enter my radar of what you might pick. And that is so bad. I, I only saw it the one time and I remember eating it so vehemently. Oh, fuck. I, I think I just popped a blood vessel in my eye. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Oh, God. All right. And uh, and your other? On the opposite end, I had, uh, at number three, The Golden Child. Oh. Which which was sort of like, even in the middle of his heyday, that was sort of like the big bad one, people point to. Well, it was like that, that and big. what was it? It was Best Defense as well, which was infamous because they added him in later. And, like, Harlem Nights gets a lot of shit on it, too, which I disagree with. But still, that was one that didn't perform that well. Dolomite is my name and The Haunted Mansion. That'll be a very interesting double feature next week for everybody. Uh, But until then, guys, um, we got to say goodbye because there's a giant stampede of people about to enter this apartment and just murder us with uh, machetes. We got to defend ourselves, Adam. Let's do it. Yeah, thank God we have weird animal bones and pieces of wood with nails sticking out of them. A board with a nail and it always saves the day. Always saves the day. Good night, everybody. Bye!
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.